Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. I'm Rachel Marshall, and I'm here with my co-host, Bruce Weiner and Dustin Griffiths, our tax strategist. And today we are talking about the financial opportunities to help you be able to weather this economic crisis that we are facing as a result of the coronavirus, the shutdown of businesses, the kind of closing up of society, if you will, and the the stopping of the, the monetary flow. There's a lot of people having so many questions and concerns as we're walking through, should we keep the business doors open? Do we have to close? How do we continue to pay workers? How do we keep people employed so that they have a the money coming into their pockets so that they can buy the things that they need and pay their rents and their mortgages? And just a lot of um, concerns, but also a lot of short-term solutions that have been passed with this $2 trillion stimulus bill. So we wanted to be able to unpack this as clearly as possible for you today, but also at the same time realize that this is new legislation and we all are still figuring out what exactly this means and having questions. So we're really happy to have Dustin Griffiths of King's Tax and Accounting joining us for this conversation today. A clarification on that, it's also not just us trying to understand the legislation, they're constantly changing the legislation. <laughs> Every day it seems like there's new stuff coming out, so Which, it's an adventure. Yeah, it doesn't make it any easier. No, so let's just go ahead and jump right in, Dustin. Um, let's kind of start from the top. There was the $2 trillion stimulus bill. What mm-hmm. are you sharing with your business owner clients right now as some of the top moves and opportunities for them to be able to find a financial way through these hard times? So so there are really, um, so let's, if it's okay, let's kind of just talk generally one of the first things that got passed and pushed through was what was called the FMLA, the Family Medical Leave Act. If you have, if you're a large company, basically it mandates that you give sick pay time for someone who's showing system symptoms of COVID or someone that has to take place or take care of someone that's been displaced from COVID. And so that's out there. Um, a lot of the companies that I work with are going to be small businesses and, 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 not even getting towards the edge of the small business limits, they're going to be one to 15 employee shops. And so those those businesses aren't subject to the FMLA. And so there's just something to be aware of. If you work for a very large corporation and you're going to be displaced, talk to them about FMLA. Um, Aside from FMLA, then we start to get into all of these other things that are being passed, that are passed as part of the CARES Act. That's what this this legislation is is actually called is the CARES Act, and so that's going to be everything from SBA loans being available. It's going to be um, potential uh, payroll tax credits. It's going to be the stimulus checks that we've all heard about. It's there's going to be lots of things that are involved in there, and and my thoughts to that I'm sharing with my clients are. If you're going to be able to qualify for something, you should go at, at least apply for it. Okay, mm-hmm. there's there are going to be like to be a hundred percent honest. I'm I'm not I'm feeling the crunch a little bit right now. 
right? But as this goes on, I will feel the crunch more and more. And so as I'm doing these, as I'm doing these applications, there's, there's so much uncertainty, even for someone who is still operating. You know, I do have one client that he's in the medical field somehow and, and his business is booming, but otherwise everyone else is struggling. Mm -hmm. And so if you're struggling, you want to be able to get in there and get opportunities to, to make sure that you can keep your doors open. Those primarily, yeah. primarily those are going to be done through the, what's called the EIDL, which is the Economic Injury Disaster Loan and the PPP or Paycheck Protection Program Loans. Now, both of those are available for small businesses. So if you're not a small business, that's when you get into payroll tax credits and some of the other options that are out there. But those two are the two real key ones in terms of, uh, of opportunities to get cash infusion right now to keep your doors open. One of the so other. let's go ahead and yeah, let's talk about what um, I mean, you can cover anything in whatever order yeah. you're wanting, but I know that we're going to kind of want to dig into what is the difference between the two and sure. what does that look like? How do you apply and what monies are available? What can those grant slash loans look like? Um, and then when would you take one versus the other or should you get both? So those are the types of questions we want to be able to cover. Sure. Yeah, you bet. Um, I really want to make sure make sure that I touch on unemployment because yes, unemployment is a big one that that people can utilize business owners can utilize without hurting the their employees but allowing them to keep their doors open um, in a lot of ways you got to remember if you're the business owner you are the goose that lays the golden egg and if you mm -hmm. kill that goose by keeping employees on when you can't afford it nobody's going to have a job in the future so Keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. But let's 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 talk about the EIDL and the PPP loan. So the EIDL is the Economic Injury Disaster Loan. That is eligible. You're eligible up for up to two million dollars in funding on that, and the first ten thousand of that is being treated as a grant, which is not going to be subject to repayment. Okay, the, uh, the, you have to go on and do an application directly with the SBA for that. And I believe the website, it's all done electronically, all done online. And I think it's covid19relief.sba.gov, I believe is the website. And um, I'll make sure that we have that link correct. And I'll post yeah. that in the live notes and then also on the show notes. Yeah. So it's, it's a very simplistic application. You'll need to know gross revenues and cost of goods sold and number of employees. But that is, that is as simple as that application is right now. Now the SBA was hoping to get funds out within three to five business days. If you've done your application, you probably, even if you did it a week and a half ago, you probably still haven't seen the funds in your account. And, and it's because the SBA is, is frankly doing due diligence in my mind. Yeah. I'll, so I can just verify that because I actually did that. Uh, <laughs> On March 30th, and we're on April 8th right now. So yeah, uh, was March 30th? Yeah, I actually did mine on March 30th as well. Don't have any funds yet, which is fine. Um, so what's what's ended up? That's go ahead. I did. I mean, obviously, like you said, you don't know what's going to come up, but I did it mainly so I could go through the process for my business owners. Mm -hmm. That's. And we did as well. And then it was interesting that so the EIDL, as we're talking yeah. about here, that. Originally, it seemed like the guidance was go ahead and get it, establish working capital so you have access to cash and funds, 
that you can get the grant portion even if you don't get the loan. And then I did understand later on that you do have to economically qualify for it, that you have to have a 50% reduction in your um, revenue based on the shutdown. You have to have some economic injury based on last year's quarter uh, comparative in order to qualify. Is that correct? Uh, there is a, that's going to be for the much larger amounts and for um, other SBA avenues. Okay. So if you're trying to get the $2 million on the EIDL, yeah, you have to be able to provide and prove some of those things. 50% reduction this quarter over the same quarter last year is what they're going to be looking for. Uh, so would you recommend then for anyone to go ahead and apply for the EIDL, the 10000 grant portion? I would still. Now, interestingly enough, as the SBA finalized the application for the PPP loan, it actually asks you on that application to add in your EIDL loan info or what you're looking for from the EIDL loan. So the SBA, I think, as they in that week where they were starting to accept EIDL applications, before the SB, before they had released the PPP loan application, I think they just realized they were so inundated with applications that, that they just thought, we got to try to somehow consolidate this all together. And so on the SBA uh, PPP loan application, which that, that loan is based solely on the amount of payroll paid. So if you have an entity that you're not paying payroll, you're not going to be able to qualify for any PPP loan. That's just, it just is how it goes. Um, so, so Dustin, question on that, that I've heard uh -huh. some clarification. So I'm a, just say for instance, I'm a business owner uh -huh. and I pay myself a small portion of payroll. The rest of my income comes over as K1 or a distribution. So right. the PPP would only cover the portion that I'm paying myself in W2 wages, correct? Correct. Yeah. The way that they've, the way that they've written it into the bill and the clarification and, and more interim final regulations have come out is it is self-employment income that is going to be what they're looking at. And so if I'm, I, I have a lot of my clients that are S corporations and they pay themselves a salary portion and then they pay themselves on their draws. Self-employment income is money that we're paying social security and Medicare tax on. And so in that case, my owner draws aren't subject to the Social Security and Medicare tax. It's only that wage that I pay. If I'm a partnership, it's only the money that's going out to active partners that are being subjected to Social Security and Medicare tax. And for sole proprietors or independent contractors that file on a Schedule C, it's going to be that net income or profit number that gets subjected to the tax that is eligible for, these loan, for this PPP loan. Okay. But so so what ends up happening is you you take your average monthly payroll or this the the amount that's subject to social security and medicare tax and you take a 12 month average of that. You get two and a half times that amount as your PPP loan. Okay? Um, of that 75% of that has to be used towards paying payroll. The other 25% can be used for um, business rents or leases, uh, mortgage interest if you actually own your building, business or, and, and utilities for your business. 
those items, if you use your PPP loan funds for those purposes, the legislation is currently written that at the end of an eight-week period, you can apply for forgiveness of the loan to the in the amount that you'd spent on those eligible expenses over the eight weeks. So let me clarify here. So you can use it for mortgage, utilities, rent. Was there anything else? Um, was that mortgage interest only on this one or the, the full mortgage? It's, no, it's going to be interest only. On okay. So the mortgage interest and utilities mm -hmm. or rent. Yes, correct. Those are, those are the clear cut answers that they have specifically given. Now, legislation might change and they might add more things in there, but right now those are the primary things. Okay. And then, okay. so you can apply for the eight week um, forgiveness on that portion if it's used for qualified expenses, correct? Correct. Right. So let's say, let's say I'm eligible for $20,000 on my PPP loan and I use eight or I use 16 of that for payroll. And then I use 3000 of it for rent or utilities or other things. So I've used $19,000 of my loan for those qualified expenses. What ends up happening is, and, and it's not clear in terms of what documentation is going to have to be provided for that. But my, my guess is it's going to be copies of cleared payroll checks, um, bank statements, um, the next quarter's um, 941 filing, right? They're going to they're gonna do everything they can to verify that that was payroll paid out to your employees. Um, okay. I do have one other question on that as okay. soon as you're done with your thought. So, uh, okay. And so 19000 was used for eligible expenses. The remaining $1,000, because I got 20000 in my loan, that gets, uh, that gets treated as a loan now. And that loan is a two-year term, and the interest rate on it is 1%. Which is an increase from the 0.05% that was originally published. Yeah, 0.5%, point, point yes, sorry. but you're, you're correct. It went from 0.5% to 1%. Okay. A 1% loan is still the cheapest money you're going to get out there. Right, right. So... so um, so thank you for that clarification. And then also, so say for instance, I'm the small business owner and I do not have employees, but I do have 1099 contractors. Now, mm -hmm. so the guidance that I've heard on this, which I want you to clarify any uh, misunderstanding that I may have, is that you cannot use this PPP for the money that you pay to them via um, 1099 um, contractor so, pay, but they can apply for it for themselves. That's correct. That's correct. The contractor payments do not count as a payroll cost for purposes of figuring out how much of a loan you can get. And they don't count towards the forgiveness portion if you make those payments. Because like you mentioned, Rachel, they're eligible to go do a PPP application themselves. And those, those actually start this Friday. So, and can you clarify on that as well? So it seemed like the original guidance was last Friday it was supposed to open. It seemed like the banks were just inundated with information. <laughs> uh, and I don't want to badmouth an industry. I mean, I have friends who are bankers and who are saying they're working 12, 17 hour days now trying to figure this all out and figure out how can they make sure that they're um, not putting themselves in a risky position with now loans that are not even backed by any collateral. Um, it's just, it's a very complicated situation. So I don't want to um, throw any industry under the bus, but what, what is kind of going on with that in terms of the timing? And do we expect it, that it will open this Friday? It is, it is the wild, wild west right now. 
I mean, it is just people are jumping in line and we're doing and and I think banks are doing their best. Um, I so a lot of banks that I've that I've talked with clients who, who you know bank at a myriad of places. A lot of them you can't apply for a loan there unless you've had an account there for a period of time. So for instance, Chase Bank. That's so I bank at a local credit union mainly, and then I have a, a, a secondary account that's at Chase Bank. Chase Bank isn't letting you apply with them unless you had an account with them before February fifteenth. So. You can't even, some of these big banks, um, another one, uh, Wells Fargo Bank, they allocated $10 billion and they've already had applications to the extent that they are going to fill that amount. So they're not even taking applications anymore. So, oh, and that was, yeah, that's my concern. So if you're supposed to have a relationship with your business banker and, and apply yeah. just through your primary banking relationship, so what happens if you are in that position, say with Wells Fargo or a bank that isn't doing this and, and you sure. have that money available. What do you do in that case? So in that case, you're going to go to smaller regional banks. Those okay. banks are looking to get, garner up uh, market share, right? And so they're going to have you probably, they're going to force you to open an account with them and, and ask you to do certain things, but then you'll be eligible to apply with them. But again, those are going to be smaller regional banks that you're going to go to. And just to verify that, that is exactly what I did. Is it? Uh, I actually had a banking relationship uh, as a resource. <clears throat> I do not normally bank there. Well, I shouldn't say I don't normally. I don't bank there. And yet he, I, I sought out his guidance and he said, yes, we're, and this is something else I don't think is it, that important that we know uh, our audience knows, but he said that the SBA allows him to do, um, do uh, loans for anybody within an hour and a half of their bank. So that must be another regulation huh. that they're that they're doing on these smaller banks. That very well that very well could be, and that that doesn't surprise me. So if you have any kind of banking relationship, I mean, <laughs> go to them first, and then if not, again, there uh, a lot of smaller regional banks are trying to get up, trying to gather up market share, and this is the one of the way one of the ways that they're going to do it is by allowing people to open accounts with them right now. And apply for the PPP loans through that. Excellent. Okay, so so we've talked about the payroll protection program or the PPP loan, and mm -hmm. that is specifically for payroll. We've talked about the EIDL, which has the ten thousand of working capital that can be um, that is a grant essentially that you do not have to repay. Yes, and, um, and real real quick because I had mentioned this, the newest the newest SBA PPP application. It has you take your monthly payroll cost, multiply by two and a half, plus your EIDL net of any advance that you've already received. So as I did my PPP loan application, I haven't received anything from, from the, my EIDL yet. And so I added the $10,000 that is that working capital grant portion to my PPP loan application. Which means that's going to reduce the amount that you would qualify for in the PPP, correct? No. So, so my PPP application is, imagine doing the PPP application exactly as only the PPP. You're just going to add whatever you would ordinarily get as your PPP loan. You're going to add 10000 to capture that, that $10,000 grant effectively from the EIDL in addition. Okay. Okay. There, there are 
there are some also some additional stipulations that if you've received EIDL loans between January and February 15th, that reduces um, your ability to get some of these loans. So there are some additional regulations. As you do the application with your bank, they will go through that with you or they will run those, be running those calculations on the back end for you. Okay. Excellent. So, go ahead. Sorry. No, I wanted to ask you if you're familiar as well with the SBA's additional loans that are available. I know that they have the um, Express Disaster Bridge Loan and there's also a, um, just the, the 7A general loans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the 7A general loans, those are the actual always going SBA loans. Those ones you can get, I mean, that's where you can get up to $10 million. That's going to be a full SBA application. They're going to want personal guarantees. Uh, that's going to be a lot longer process. Um, uh, to be honest, I'm not that familiar with the SBA Express Bridge loans, but I'm assuming that they are trying to fund money uh, in a in a accelerated way. There's interestingly enough, you should also check with local legislation. I'm in Utah. Ut Utah has something called the Utah Leads Together Bridge Loan Act, where the state of Utah has appropriated eleven million dollars to help fund small businesses. It's a zero percent loan at sixty at sixty months, and it's five thousand to twenty thousand. So they're just trying to get cash get immediate cash infusions into businesses so that they can keep their doors open. So look at local legislation as well to see if there's anything in terms of a small local option that you should, that you could qualify for as well. Excellent. And we do have a question or comment as well. Apparently there was a um, bulletin put out by the SBA and I'm looking this over real quickly right now. It looks like there is a EIDL loan advance, um, that is up to a maximum of 10,000 per employee, or sorry, 10,000, 1,000 per employee up to a max of 10,000. Is that um, something that you have seen as well yet? So I, 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 have, I have not read that yet, but that is something that I have heard, um, that I've heard rumblings about. Um, just starting uh, yesterday is when I started to hear that, and I haven't had a chance to look it up yet but that they will limit the EIDL advance to in terms of the number of employees that you have, that you have. I have heard that. Uh, so I see it here listed on this bulletin. I'll go ahead and post the link in the yeah. um, Facebook comments as well. And so we can grab that. Okay. So let's go ahead and talk next about the stimulus checks and kind of what those are, what they mean, what the income thresholds are and sure. how this applies in individual situations. And again, I want to focus on this is a, direct amount of money coming to you, but it is not a long-term solution. It's absolutely a Band-Aid or a one-time, it's a short-term fix to help people kind of patch through this challenging time. Yep. So what it is is that um, it's going to be $1,200 per adult or $500 per child. And children, the, this is going to be um, children that qualify as um, qualify for child tax credits, so under the ages of 17. Um, are the $500 per child. And the income limits are $75,000 for individuals, $112,500 for head of household, and um, $150,000 for married couples. So what happens is if, you're, if your income is underneath that, you're eligible for the entire, the entire amount. 
as your income gets over that, it begins to phase out. And for a single person, I think the phase out is about 99,000. For a married couple, it's in the, in the 190,000. So it's going to step down for you as you make more income. And once you're above the top end, you just don't qualify for it. Um, important piece of clarification, there are lots of people that claim children between the ages of 17 and uh, as late as 24 if they're full-time students. And even further, if the child isn't working or has other, other potential issues that allow them to be, to be um, claimed as a dependent. If you're claiming those children that are above age 17, they're not eligible to get the $1,200 check themselves, and they're not eligible for the $500 child portion of the stimulus. So really, I mean, what you gotta look at there is what's the most income or what's the most dollars into your household, and claiming a child on your tax return after the age of 17, they're potentially only worth 500 bucks to you on the tax return. If they can file on their own and get $1,200 in a stimulus check, you have more dollars in your household. Yes, it's going to cause you to owe more in tax or your refund not to be as large, but there's more dollars in your household. Um, so watch out for that. This is, um, this, these stimulus checks are 2020 tax credits. Their advances, you can think of it as an advance on a 2020 tax credit. And so what ends up happening is, is if when I go to file my 2020 tax return, if I did not get my stimulus check now, I will get that as part of a refund on my 2020 tax return. Interestingly enough, they're currently sending out the checks based on either your 2018 tax return or your 2019 tax return if you've already filed. Um, and so if you're in terms of some strategy here, if in 2018 you're under the thresholds in 2019, you're going to be above the thresholds. Don't file your 2019 return. Wait to file them till you get your checks. If in 2018 you were above the threshold in 2019, you're below the threshold, try to get your return in as quickly as you can. Now, if that's the case, um, or let's say in 2019, you've already filed and you didn't qualify, and now your business is, is down because of this, and in 2020, you would qualify, you'll get it as part of your 2020 tax return. And so they're trying to really give this, give this to you as much as possible um, and give you as many chances as possible. Um, Clarification, it is not subject to repayment. So if in 18 I did qualify, in 19 I don't qualify, but I was able to wait to file my taxes, I don't have to pay that back. That's how the legislation is currently written. I don't have to pay that back out of my next year's tax refund. So it's um, it do everything you can to try to slip in into getting these stimulus checks. And that is definitely a clarification. Um, I just wanted to point out here. So what you're saying with the stimulus check is that if right now, say for instance, I am married and I have two kids. So, and that's my situation. So 1200 mm -hmm. and just say that we do fall under that, um, 150,000, um, income, income. Mm -hmm. for 2019 and we already filed our taxes. And so that's 1200 and 1200, that's 2400 plus another thousand. That's 3,400 that would be the check that comes to me and my family. Um, and then you're saying that if in 2020 I 
say I file my taxes and I would be getting a return of say 2000. What is the situation with that? I, I received 3400. So good question. So what happens is you look at the, you look at the return uh, irregardless of what the stimulus would would be. So if you were filing your return stimulus aside and you were getting a $2,000 refund, you'll still get a $2,000 refund. Okay. If, if I'm scheduled to get a $2,000 refund and I never got my stimulus checks and I'm, and I'm in your situation where it would norm, where it would be 3,400, my refund in 2020 will then be 5,400. My 2,000 that I would get normally plus the 3,400 that they're giving me for the stimulus. That's, again, now this is the government, it's the IRS, so we're never quite sure. We'll see what happens over the next year, but that is the way the legislation is currently written and is, and is being, and is, as far as we understand, is going to be applied. Mm -hmm. Okay, so good clarification. Then I have heard a lot of questions as well, and I think you really did already touch on this, but I just wanted to ask a really direct question. So say I have a, an 18-year-old child I normally have as a dependent on my taxes, and I have not filed yet for 2019, but I know that if I did go ahead and have them on their own tax return in 2019, that they would qualify and I would qualify. So that sounds to me like I would then want to go ahead and file my 2019 taxes as quickly as possible. Y yes, and... and Clarification, you file your taxes and your 18-year-old files their taxes. Right. right? Okay, good. You're each filing separate returns so that you're each eligible for the $1,200 and you don't just lose out on that $500 for your 18-year-old. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, so that is definitely a, a, an action to take into consideration right now, you may need to take steps to be able to improve the stimulus check that you do receive. Uh, is there anything else we need to talk about with that? Any precautions or any thoughts or considerations that they need to take um, action on to get that money? So make sure that your address is up to date with the IRS. So the IRS is there. They're going to deposit it into um, a bank account. If you've given them direct deposit information on either your 2018 or 2019 returns, it's going to go into those accounts, or they're going to mail it out to the address on file. So if your bank account has changed and you close down an account, what's going to happen is it's going to get sent back to the IRS, and they should then send you out a check. Well, if your address is updated, they're going to be sending out a check, and you're never going to get it. So make sure as much as you can that your information is up to date with the IRS. If, How do they do that? Um, so address updates are form 8822. 8822, okay, yep. excellent. Um, with, with direct deposit information, if you filed with it and you've closed down that account, they're gonna try to send it to the account and then they'll send you a check when it gets returned to them. Okay. Unfortunately, there's no great way that I know of to go and, and update bank information with the IRS. I did have, I did have someone mention to me ePay. If you use ePay services, you might be able to update bank information that way, but I haven't verified that. So you are saying if you filed your taxes with direct deposit and you paid, you will get your stimulus check via direct deposit, right? You should, yes. Okay. All right. Now, uh, another quick thing. These stimulus checks, 
are given to you irregardless of if you owe taxes for prior years and and other things. Now, if you're if you're subject to uh, like a, a garnishment due to unpaid child support, for instance, they will take that to pay your child support. Okay. Okay. But, okay. Yes. Good clarification on that. Yeah, but um, it's still going out. It's just going out to a different person. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's still going out just to a different person. So. Okay. All right. So we've talked about a lot here. We kind of have been answering questions as they've come in and updating. I've been putting a bunch of comments in the Facebook feed as well, just to be able to capture some of the information that you're sharing. Can you talk a little bit about unemployment and the $600 um, weekly sure. boost, which is actually a lot. Um, so how does that work and yeah. who is eligible for it? I've heard that this is the very first time ever that um, contractors, 1099 contractors are eligible for unemployment. Yes. Yeah. So, so the first statement is going to be, you gotta, you gotta get with your, with your state's unemployment department. They're going to have all of the exact regulations in terms of who qualifies. They are allowing independent contractors and, and 1099 individuals to apply. And so it, it has been greatly or widely expanded to, to try to assist those people. Um, and in a lot of places, it isn't about you got fired from your job. It's uh, the term that I hear a lot is, is the word furloughed, right? I'm able and available to work, and I just can't work because I'm either quarantined or I'm, a, you know, if I'm a restaurant server, I, I don't have a job right now, right? Restaurants are closed. If, um, right, and so there's always going to be all these different options. but. If I am if I'm furloughed, I'm I'm available, but I just can't work because I'm displaced. I'm still eligible to qualify, um, and so those people you should definitely be filing for unemployment. Um, what's happening is the amount that you're going to get from your state unemployment is still the same. That calculation is is still uh, whatever your state's unemployment calculation is. The federal government has come in and they said they'll give an additional $600 a week on top of that. Typically, unemployment isn't meant to replace your income. It's meant to be in a, a, a lifeline between jobs. What the government is trying to do with this extra $600 a week is replace your income. And so really, when you look at it, the federal with the federal subsidy, that, that $600 a week, that's $24 an hour. So there are going to be some industries where your employees would actually make more money going on unemployment than they would working for you. Um, I now, know all comments aside about uh, philosophy of uh, whether we like this or not, I mean, honestly, it we could have an entire is. other podcast about should we, should we be relying on the government for our income? Is this what kind of a society we want to be building? Uh, but all of that aside, this is just the facts of the bill and it's, it's what true. can be possible for you. Yeah, I, uh, I actually have, have family members that are in hotel management. And, and so they're actually having employees at their hotels ask to be furloughed because they can go make more money on unemployment than they can working. And so generally kind of, we, we had talked earlier about don't kill the goose that lays the golden egg. 
if you have multiple employees and you're trying to keep them employed just part-time to try to continue to give them something, you're actually hurting them, right? Consolidate down as much as you can. If I have two employees working 20 hours a week, it's going to be better if I have one employee working 40 hours a week and the other employee goes and gets unemployment because their unemployment is probably going to be making more than they're making working 20 hours a week for you. So, so you're not... So you're yeah, not, Go yeah, ahead. you're not going to hurt your employee. Yeah, it's not a fun conversation to say, hey, I need to furlough you. But if they're only working part-time for you anyways, that's maybe keeping them from being able to go and get unemployment. Mm -hmm. Let them go get full unemployment and, and be close to getting what their normal wage would be. Right. And, and it's, not, it's not causing you any harm, harm mm -hmm. because it's not dollars out of your pocket you're still keeping jobs open as much as possible and it allows you to then really do the best across the board. I've, I've had conversations with clients where like I had one where I was talking with the employer, uh, my client, and she said, you know what, let me get my employee on the phone. And I was like, uh, and so she, she threw a call their employee in, and we had this conversation for 20 minutes. Like, okay, the client, my client can keep paying you at 20, 20 hours a week at, at 15 bucks an hour, or 18 bucks an hour. If we furlough you, you can go get regular state unemployment plus $600 a week. You're actually going to make more money doing that. We want to keep you so, around, but we yeah. just, yeah, it just so financially doesn't that, make sense. Which um, I have, so my mom is in this particular situation. So we're in a, an industry that I, I don't know, state by state, there's just so many different situations. Mm -hmm. So, um, she works in the optician industry. She's in a new role. So it's like relatively short, I don't know, a month or something in this new job. So in a case where somebody says, okay, we could go ahead and close down the doors, maybe a dentist or a, a, a optician or orthodontist, or I'm just thinking specifically of the medical profession where maybe they, they're they not specifically fighting COVID on mm -hmm. the front lines, but they're in the medical profession right now. So they're saying, well, either we close the doors because we have to and we've been shut down by the government. And then now we're saying, well, there's the opportunity to be able to get this PPP if we're paying our employees, but we can't be open. So can they pay their employees, but not have them come to work? Is that? Sure. I mean, and if that's the case, I mean, don't do that. Right. The most logical thing now is if you're going to be able to get this PPP loan and continue to fund employee wages, find things for them to do. Restructure processes, mm -hmm. clean up paperwork, right? Good. There good, are yes. always things you can have employees helping you with to improve your business that maybe in the day to day, um, in the weeds every day, you just don't have the time to do some of these things. Now is a great time to do that. Good, right? good. Now, okay. is, now is a really good time to do that. And if somebody was a new hire, is can they still apply for unemployment or not? I, you're going to have to check your, your state regulations okay. on that. Okay. And yeah, and every state's going to be different. There are some states like California, their their maximum state unemployment, I think, is about $600, dollars 5 to $600 a month. And so some, or, or a week, excuse me. So someone can get 500 bucks a month a week from the state and $600 a month a week from the Fed, excuse me. So $1,100 a week, they're making 4,400 bucks a month. That's 52, 53,000 a year. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty, 
pretty good for unemployment. Frankly. And at the same so, time, cost of living in California is much higher than many other states. Right. But at the same time, I mean, absolutely. U- and thank you for sharing the math on that. Yeah. In Utah, where where the maximum is about five hundred a week, so someone oh, can make fifty, sure. almost fifty five thousand a year on unemployment in Utah. I mean, that's that's frankly a nice living here. Sure. Because of we sure. because of cost of living. So So we've got six more minutes. We've been answering questions as they've come in. I don't think I have missed any questions, but I am not watching all of the live feeds, so I can check those in just a second. Um, two things I do want to mention, actually three, and I don't know if we have time to dig deep on any of them. One is, and Bruce, you may want to comment on this. Um, if somebody has money in a 401k or a SEP IRA or a um, 403b or an IRA. These are qualified plans where you are not paying tax on the money that you put in today. There are changes in your accessibility to those funds. And so if you have money there, um, I can just say this real briefly and then Bruce, if you want to comment on that, um, normally you can distribute, actually, I don't know how much you can normally distribute, but I know you can now distribute 10, a hundred thousand from those qualified plans. You also will have no 10% penalty, which you normally have for accessing those monies early. And then also you have three years to repay the taxes on those qualified plans. That is if you're withdrawing the money. So if you did find a reason to say, hey, I want to pull my money out right now, put that over into some place that's safe that I can access even more, or I need to use that money to live on right now. I do know that there's some hardship um, requirements on that as well. So you'll need to talk to them, your employer about hardship requirements, but then you could turn that into a loan that you just repay as well and not have tax due on that. Um, Bruce, is there anything else you want to add to that with qualified plans right now? As far as retirement plans uh, for waiving the early withdrawal, uh, the really, uh, the distribution amount, my understanding and Dustin can comment on this. There wasn't any limits before now, but now they're, they're doing up to 100,000. So this, this is, didn't apply before. There were hardships, but there weren't any limits on that before. Now there is a limit of 100,000 where you can waive the 10%, 10% penalty. And the 401k loans uh, normally are uh, 50,000 or 50% of the balance. And now they're going up to 100,000 for the uh, 401k loan. Um, and I, you are correct. Uh, my understanding of this is that you do have to show hard, uh, hardship from the virus to uh, take the money out. Now that's, that's pretty gray in most cases. Um, and, and there are also other uh, things you can, um, consider, uh, in the securities world right now is, um, if your income is down, but not completely down, um, it might be a great time to do a Roth conversion because yeah. uh, you'll be put, your your accounts are probably down, and this is really important for if your if your 401k or IRA accounts are down um, and your income is down, this would be a great time to do a Roth conversion. And we don't have time to get into that, but really, what you're doing is you're going to pay go ahead and pay your taxes now, um, and then over a three year period, over, over a three year period, which is even better because you may. Yeah. It may not even bump you up into a, a higher tax bracket or at least the highest tax bracket and then pay your taxes over a three-year period. And then uh, the, the growth from then on will be tax-free. So these are great strategies that people should be looking at um, to help build their wealth. Yes. So a couple of other things that I want to make sure that we just push in here real quick. 
you may have heard about mortgage loan forbearance and Dustin, I know you have two minutes here, so it's real brief. What one thing I would caution you is do not just stop paying your mortgage. In any case, make sure you understand you talk to your bank. I do know that there can be balloon payments after where your full loan is due on certain loans. You also can have, if maybe you stop paying your loan for three months, you might have that full balance due in the fourth month. So right. make sure you're not shooting yourself in the foot get the fine print, understand your contract before you make any changes on paying your mortgage. Dustin, anything right. you want to say there? Yeah, so, so definitely talk to your mortgage company because there are a lot of them are doing exactly what you said. Uh, you don't have to pay for three months, but in the fourth month, the entire amount is due. Um, there are some that are just tacking it onto the back end. You'll just have to talk with your lender specifically. One thing that I had an interesting conversation about with um, a client of mine who does credit repair She's worried that that if you go into forbearance, it's still technically a considered a mispayment. And so this could ding up your credit really bad. So yes. if you have the ability to keep paying your mortgage payment, do it. If you don't, you have to deal with the consequences no matter what. And so take the forbearance or whatnot. But if you can continue to pay it, don't just say, all right, I'm going to just sit on my cash then because there are other repercussions that you don't think about. So good and super, super wise. Um, several other things we don't have time to get into, but there are extensions on filing your taxes. Yep. Um, Dustin, you want to say anything there? Just, just July 15th, states, states individually are doing their own legislation. The majority of them are following the IRS and pushing till July 15th for the 2019 tax payment and the 2019 due date as well as the first estimated tax payment for 2020 if you're subject to estimated tax payments. Um, the AICPA has done a really good job. They have a, a website where they're compiling what each state is doing. So if you just go to Google and Google um, state tax filing deadlines 2020 AICPA, that's the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants. They have a, a sheet or a PDF, basically, they're putting together with what each state is doing. And that's just a very good, easy resource to go look for your specific state and what they're doing. Awesome. I'm going to grab that link and I'm thinking that I have the right one. So I'll double check that before I post it. Okay. Um, also, there is so much more with tax strategy that um, I would suggest no one do it yourself in this case, just because there's so many things that are unknowns. I know that there's net operating losses carry back, which we again don't have time to go into. Um, but figuring out exactly how to handle your specific situation to be in the maximum position of control is really what you want to do. And again, thinking these are short term fixes in many cases. Sometimes there's um, tax opportunities that are better than the loan opportunities, specifically if you're owning real estate investment property. So um, I know we didn't have time to cover everything today, but just we really wanted to get this information out to you. Big picture though, think cash flow and control. The two things that are going to put you in control is having reserves, having a pool of cash, and having as much cash flow as possible. And those two things in your personal economy, your business economy, are absolutely going to put you the furthest ahead. Um, Dustin, thanks for being with us. We're one minute over. I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> all right. I've got to jump off. I've got another call. So thank you. I appreciate it. Best of luck to everyone out there. Um, you know, we're, we're, my family are praying for everyone and, and hope that everyone's staying safe and well and that, that we all get through this together. So thank Absolutely. you so much. Thank you very, off. very much. Thank you, Dustin. Okay. Thanks, Bruce. Thank, See ya. Thank you, Dustin. Bye-bye.
So if you are with us on the podcast, I want to close us off today by saying, remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. And just a little caveat, what does that mean right now? It means we're all figuring this out right now. And I don't know if anyone's being successful in their um, weathering this time of uncertainty but what we need to do is have as much information available to us as possible so we can apply the, the principles of building wealth, but at the same time, preserve and protect what we have. So that's, off, that's us signing off for the podcast today. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.